This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Isn't it convenient that we have a round table? Well, it's actually oval. Just say yeah. it. The blind guy feels it now. Goes, wow. Well, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. Every Thursday we have a round table. I'm the host of it generally, but uh, whenever Ramya tries to host it, something usually goes kind of <coughs> south. Curse. So we say, yeah, there's uh, something going on there. Open conversation on a variety of subjects, handpicked by yours truly today. And I'd like to welcome in our guest, who was actually on the program the other day. Am I right? Yeah, you were here Monday. Oh, my goodness, Alex. You're spending a lot of time with us. Uh, Alex Smythe, our Toronto TV Bureau reporter, joining us. Sir, welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be back. I know. You're uh, you're going to get sick of me soon enough, aren't you? Never. Never. <laughs> we, we, we look you at say it that as, now. You oh, no. say that now. Oh, no. It's always great because then it's like... Oh, phew, okay, I've got my guest. Yes. <laughs> now I just have to fight for the for the topics. Uh, let's talk about Serena Williams right off the top. She's a tennis icon. Uh, the 23 Grand Slam champion has also won four Olympic gold medals and spent 319 weeks as the sport's number one player. Williams has announced she's moving on, writing in an essay for Vogue, that she's evolving away from tennis. Now, this reporter takes a look back at her extraordinary run. This is what Serena said when she was just 11. I like to be a tennis player. If you were a tennis player, who would you want to be like? Where well, I like other people to be like me. <laughs> her first Grand Slam win, the U.S. Open at just 17, becoming the first African-American woman to win a championship in more than 40 years. Her last championship win, the 2017 Australian Open which she won while two months pregnant with her daughter, Olympia. Serena now saying growing her family is her new priority, writing, if I have to choose between building my tennis resume and building my family, I choose the latter. I absolutely love the, the remark that she made at 11. I, I just love the idea that you would want people to want to emulate what you're doing, the hard work that you, you, know, you plan to put in and, and, and knowing that, at 11 years old. Alex, I'm going to start with you as our guest on the program. And I kind of just, I always get this feel when we talk about ladies in sports and, and we're really, people say, well, you, you know, men, sports, ladies in sports, but this is an extraordinary athlete who has achieved so much in her sport. um, And, and, and people try to make that, well, there's a distinction when we talk about greatest athletes. Yeah, no, uh, she's hands down the best tennis player ever, full stop, period. I mean, there's there's no real debate. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. I, I think yeah, you can make an argument, oh, well, you know, the competition on the men's side, oh, you had uh, more dominant players here and there. But you know what? It That's really uh, ir- uh, irrelevant, I think. I, I think you look at what uh, competition she played against. You look at how dominant she was for um the um, length of time that she she was at the top and you know you you heard the the list of accolades she has it, it's she is synonymous with the sport unlike any other player in history i i i put her ahead of roger federer i put her ahead of McEnroe, of djokovic and nadal uh because you there is no one else besides serena that really you can look to as like okay they're in that conversation on their own there were other great women in the past but I think she is above 
all of them. And, and on the men's side, I would say the same thing. It's amazing mm-hmm. because to me, you achieve what you achieve. People know you've, if you're going by wins, if you're going by successes, you've achieved those. Nobody can take those away from you. Now, if you can run around trying to pretend that, well, everyone you played against wasn't feeling too well, they had the flu. Oh, they're, they're, they're a female, so it's not the same as being a male. And it just drives me because you still put in the same time, the same work, the, you have the same gifted skills that some of these others, except generally, you're beyond. And it doesn't matter, male, female, uh, skin color, whatever it might be, if you you have it, and it being the term, you have it. You're fortunate enough. And this lends itself to whether you're a scientist, whether you're a performer, Ramya. Um, I, but we don't do that necessarily when we talk about actors. Oh, you, you can be the greatest. No one makes the distinguish, oh, well, for a female, she's the greatest female actress. Yep. No, they don't do it. Same with singers. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the weight that women like Serena carry, right? Like not, you know, Alex, just hearing you um, put your opinion and thoughts on the table about who she is, what she carries, the weight that uh, is carried by women who are not just great, like not just uh, all-stars, not just professional elite athletes or uh, anything like that, but when you're the best of the best. And when we hear what she said at, at 11 years old, imagine what all these little uh, girls are saying wanting to be anybody, right? Like wanting to be anybody out there and as a, a wanting to represent. Um, and she's putting all that on the table and saying, but I need to focus on my family. And that's what it honestly makes me very emotional, like to hear her um, reflect, like to, to imagine what she has to reflect on and what she has to to do in order to say, but I'm putting my family first and she's having a girl. So she, she knows what that, that is going to be like to, to have her mom um, be this person, but to say, yeah, and I needed to take this time off for my family. I think it's just, uh, wow. Like there's, there's just so much around that, that we only get to see just a, a, a tiny bit of, you know, the, what she shares with us, but there's so much that goes on uh, in making that decision. I'm not going to pretend I've not heard an athlete, a um, male athlete, male singer, performer, actor, whatever, say I'm taking time for my family. But definitely, Rumi, it seems to be something that you are far more likely to hear from from a female artist. You have to. You have to. Like, honestly, and, and I've heard it with Beyonce, who I follow um, a lot of, and where when when it comes time and you know what these these women and their families are making the sacrifices through and through anyway right you know that the the people who back you up the people who help you uh and take care of you take care of themselves while you're out on the road it's not easy um but at the end of the day that ultimate moment when you say okay i need to i know i need to take a step back from my career in order to put my family first is a huge moment and you know that like if you're the best of the best this is making a huge impact on not just you not just your family but on everybody who's watching you uh so and it's not retirement right it's like an active decision uh to say i'm picking something else for the time being alex i'm not sure if we're going to see her 
participate in some tournaments along the way. She said goodbye uh, to Toronto on the aspect of playing, but made the promise, of course, that she'll be back to Toronto. She, she's certainly on her own personal uh, life uh, journeys, will we'll be around. Do you... Is there a sport when you hear or see someone retiring out of, is there anything different based on the sport or for you when you see someone leave, whether it's hockey, tennis, it's the same kind of thing where you feel that, wow, that, that, or do you, does it affect you or is it just that overwhelming good for them? Yeah, you know, I, I'm a huge sports fan and, and especially when it comes to single uh, and individual sports, like because you can always make the argument, and this often happens in in team sports. It's like, oh well, this is the greatest player. Oh yeah, well you, you know you can't you can't do basketball all by yourself. You can't do football right. or hockey. No one player can can be kind of the the true winner for the team. Even even the greatest ones like LeBron and and uh, Michael Jordan in, in basketball. You still need a team around you in order to to win and succeed. But where you when you see someone like Serena, who literally has done it. On her own now, with the exception of playing doubles with her, her sister and things like that. Mm-hmm. Tennis is an individual sport. You have to go out there yourself. You, it's all on you. All the glory, all the pressure, all the the highs and lows. It's all on you when you perform. So I, I think there's that extra special uh, sense of like bravo, of achievement, of of celebration, and and kind of a bit of mourning for for the game when when yes. a great athlete decides okay you know what i i'm done whether it's for now or it's it's forever i'm i'm stepping away for the time being and so sports go on but especially when it's an individual sport like tennis and when you're so dominant you're the face of that sport it the sport itself takes a hit but new people will rise up they'll they'll become mm-hmm. um the new faces and and they'll be the ones who who start to take the attention afterwards always blows my mind because when you taught the individual sports you have your coaches you have your supports but you do all your road work everything the build up so alone it's not even like at a practice where okay let's do drills guys ladies let's do the work you have to push yourself and your coach can only do so much pushing and, and telling you, but when it's individual and you're running, when you're playing the sport, you are on your own in your own head. So um, really amazing. Uh, best to Serena Williams. A BC Indigenous leader and wild salmon advocate says pink salmon are returning this summer to areas near uh, where several former fish farms were located. First Nations Wild Salmon Alliance spokesman Bob Chamberlain says thousands of pink salmon are returning to an area along BC's central coast after years of minimal returns. When you get a fish run down to just a couple hundred fish, you're so close to extinction you don't want to breathe. And then now, as a result of removing those farms, that we now have a few thousand coming back. And I'm not sure the total number yet, but I've seen video footage and, and I've heard from a lot of people saying, sure, it's nice to see the fish jumping again. So Chamberlain also said that two open net salmon farms were shut down in the Bon Sound uh, area two years ago. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I hear this and you think, all the stuff as we talk about the environment, Ramya, and so many little things that we've been really pushed that we can do to to, to kind of, we, we heard about the monarch butterflies, for example, but to kind of concern ourselves about extinction and the little things that, and this is to me an example, you close these down, you move these guys, 
And look what you have coming back because the natural tendency for these pink salmon is to be in this area where before, you know, our tendency was, oh, we need those pink salmon, catch them. And now that that, that little thing, and I'm not saying for the businesses, it's, it's a little thing that they're told, move along. Um, but these are a lot of, this is an example of a lot of things we need to see. Yep, exactly. And it gives you this perspective of like, wow, how disconnected are we, right? Like every time we have a conversation with a professional or someone who's really tapped into something that can bring us back information and say, hey, and this is how this relates back to the environment. This is how this relates back to you. And um, you you gave the examples of the monarch butterflies. You know, as we had this conversation with Susan Kearney and she tells us why it's a concern that monarch butterflies are uh, part of the endangered species list now and and what that means for pollinators and then what that means for home gardening and what that means for the food industry. You know what I mean? Like this, this bigger picture scenario, uh, you need to have the individual information, like the understanding of that one thing first to say, okay, and this is how this leads to all this stuff. You know, I only think of salmon when I see it in the stores. But that's not the case. Like, there's so much going on. Um, and, and all these little things, like you say, Kels, makes a difference. Alex, I know you've spent some time out, out west and that kind of thing and, and probably have some people who have filled your ear with some of these concerns and what goes on, what doesn't, especially when we talk about the Indigenous lands. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, also to Ramya's point, I mean, uh, especially when it comes to environmental issues and things like that and the impact, it's it's important to get the, the micro and the macro information and, and mm-hmm. trying to get that understanding. And that also knowing that nothing happens in a silo. You, you can't impact one element of uh, environmental um, uh, impacts and then expect nothing else to to um, be affected by it. Right. And, and it, the inverse is, is true as well. It's like, well, you know, by closing down uh, the fisheries, by seeing populations return, seeing um, what were uh, once strong uh, fish populations within the region return. Well, that's going to have a positive effect and impact on the natural environment. Well, the certain predators may return because there may be more access to the fish there. The the abundance is there. The the wildlife will, will grow. So these are all kind of um, little ripple effects that continue to have uh, impacts as, as you kind of look further and further out from from the these uh, one specific examples and events. Always amazes me our balance that we don't even know 50% of with almost anything we do in our world, mm-hmm. how one thing's going to affect the other. A new survey conducted um, for the Association of Canadian Studies finds that more Canadians report a strong attachment to their primary language, to then to other markers of identity. Now, the president of the association studies, uh, Jack Jebwax, says the role of language in people's sense of identity is often downplayed. Language, of course, serves that dual purpose very often of being a utilitarian or neutral means for communication, which is what English and French in Canada purportedly do, as well as being expressions of culture. Right, So it's got that dual function to it. A larger portion of respondents uh, reported a stronger sense of uh, an attachment to their primary language than to the country of Canada itself, with this finding being especially pronounced among Francophones and Indigenous people. But Ramya, I want to ask you, with your family um, and English not the first language, 
do you feel, uh, speaking for members of your family, have you seen this attachment, that comfort with it? Because I'd imagine, and I know from my father, me being from Montreal, my dad speaking French, always, no matter how long we were here in Ontario, French was really, I think, what he classified himself first, Mm -hmm. even though he knew English, had to speak it all the time. It was what he, he loved and identified with. It's it's home, right? Like I I tell people this. I'm I'm 29, and I still like in a quick situation. I feel like I think in Tamil before speaking in English. Like I'm always translating, sort of in my head. Right. Uh, Tamil is my first language, and and though English is now the predominant language that I speak every day with everybody except my parents, um, it's it's still. Tamil to me like that's the comfort and you know it's not just comfort Kels that you know that was mentioned in the clip but also um, this urgency to feel like you need to keep growing the language into different generations because now so many people uh, lose um, parts of their identities as they move to new places move to and identify differently you don't know if the, the language will even be carried out as much right yeah for sure it's a huge concern yeah and Alex, I'm sure you've seen a variety of that with, with the different places you've lived. We don't really have time to get into it today. We'll have you back on the roundtable soon again if you, uh, you you don't mind. And we appreciate always the time you give us. Yeah, no, thank you, guys. Yeah, and it's always uh, great to have these types of conversations with you. You betcha. We'll do it again. Alex Smythe, of course, our, our TV reporter out of the Toronto Bureau. Uh, always wonderful to have him on the program with us. This has been the Kelly and Company Weekly Thursday Roundtable. We'll be back in a moment to take a look at what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown. We'll preview the Friday edition of Kelly and Company as well. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.